Now, have you ever been to a yard sale or to a junk shop? Anybody ever been to something like that? I have, and it's one of my favorite things to do. And uh, I like to go to them because there are things that, that interest me. Things I like to see different things. I don't even have to be actively involved in the pursuit of various things. But I like, I like, I like stuff. I like stuff. And the reason I like yard sales and junk shops is because I'm always looking for a honey of a deal. My favorite price is free. My second favorite price is about a dollar. So I like to get stuff cheap and as cheap as I can. Now, Valerie and I have watched over the years, we, used to, we watched this show when it was on television. I think it's still on television. I'm not sure. It was called Pawn Stars, and that's when people would bring in their items to pawn shops to try to sell it. And sometimes they were, uh, you know, they were surprised at how valuable something that they had was. Most of the time, though, people were surprised at how invaluable <laughs> their beloved item was. And then there's also that old show, uh, which has always had some interesting surprises, Antiques Roadshow, which was on PBS back in the day. And my dad and my grandpa are the ones who got me started going to these different junk shops and uh, these kind of sales. And they, they could find valuable stuff. My grandfather was very talented at this. He could find very important items because he had great knowledge. He knew what a lot of things could be used for. And because he knew the purpose for the item, it had value to him and sometimes even greater value. For instance, my grandpa went over to help a lady move a couch one time. And uh, they moved the couch, and under the couch was a revolver. My grandpa took one look at it and knew immediately what it was. It was an Army Colt, single-action, 45, first-generation, which means it's made in probably 1882 previous to that. He knew immediately what it was. And the old lady, she's like, well, how did that get under there? <laughs> and so she picked it up and handed it to him. And she said, Jim, you know anything about guns? He said, well, you know, I know a little bit. She said, what do you give me for that? He said, I don't know. He cocked it. You know, it functioned okay. And she said, what about $50, Jim? And he said, I don't know. What about 10 <laughs> Man after my own heart, you know. And so uh, he got it from her for 20 bucks. Went right from her house to a gun shop, and the gun shop owner offered him 2000 on the spot for it. Knowledge made a big payday for him. Now, he didn't sell that gun, thanks be to God, because that gun right now is with my father. And when my father's last day on earth is up, it's going to fall down to me. <laughs> then I'll have myself this wonderful $10 gun. It's worth a good bit of money. Now, knowing what something's purpose is, or knowing what it's for, knowing something about it can help us understand or perceive the value of something. To know what it's for shows us how important it is. And I want to talk about this morning a little bit about the local church and its purpose. Now, the big objective of the local church is in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, where the apostle says, to him be glory in the church. God should be glorified in the church through Christ Jesus. This is our, our big mission, is to glorify God. Is that when people would come in here and then leave from here, they wouldn't leave here saying, Oh, what a church. Oh, what worship. Or, oh, what preaching. But that they would walk out of here saying, Oh, what a God. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a King. Oh, what a Lord. Oh, what a Master. 
So our big objective is the glory of God. But how exactly do we do that? How do we impress upon people the greatness, gloriousness, or grandness of God? Well, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. This is just before Jesus ascends back to the right hand of the Father. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Take your Bible and turn with me also to Luke chapter 24. Verses 45 to 49. Listen to God's word here. Luke 24, 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in, this, in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you. What my Father has promised, but, in, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And just a few more pages to Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. This is a verse you probably all know right well. Jesus, again, same situation, different accounting. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, we take this usually as the Great Commission. This is what the church is supposed to be doing. What we're supposed to be actively involved in is taking the gospel to the nations, taking the gospel to the world. This is our purpose. This is our primary purpose. And so often, very often, churches become distracted from their primary purpose. And I play basketball every week with some guys, and we always play man-to-man defense. And I don't know why they do that. I wish they played a zone defense because I wouldn't have to run around as much. But you play a man defense, you get assigned a man, and you follow that guy around. And my main objective when I'm playing defense, when, you get a, when you're playing man-to-man defense and you get assigned a, somebody to defend, your job is to stay with that person the whole time, to keep on following them around. Just wherever they go, you go. Now, that kind of, of running is no problem when you're playing a guy who weighs 300 pounds and doesn't move too, big, move too good. But when you're playing somebody who's five foot six, weighs a buck 20, and has the speed of, uh, uh, of, an, of a gazelle, I mean, it can really wear you out. And what happens is, is you get distracted. You're trying to follow the guy because you're tired, trying to chase him around. And then you see the ball. You're always trying to, follow, trying to get the ball. And sometimes what happens to me is I'll see the ball get passed to somebody who I know I can take, and I'll drop off of my guy and go try to get the ball from that guy, and guess what happens to my little speedy guy? He gets open, gets the ball, makes an easy layup, and everybody says, Terry, Terry, what are you doing? Pay attention. Stay on your man. We get distracted from our purpose, and so often churches... We get distracted from our purpose. We get distracted from what is important. We stop keeping the main thing the main thing, and we get out of whack. We get misaligned. Now, our purpose is stated here in three things in Matthew 28. 
Purpose number one is to evangelize the world. To take the gospel out there, to make disciples of all nations, to take the gospel to the world. But the world is not just way out there at the edges, but the world is in our homes, in our towns, in our states, and in our nation. We're to keep the gospel pumping out. My friends, one of the most annoying things to me about Christianity is how rarely many churches proclaim the gospel that saves souls. It's very annoying to me that you could go to any kind of Christian church and sit there for a month or two months and never hear somebody preach a persuasive gospel message. My friends, the good news is not how to fix your marriage. The good news is not how to increase your bank account. The good news is not how to get along with difficult people in your life, even though that's important. Amen? The good news is that salvation comes to you for free through whom? Jesus Christ. And that message must be proclaimed. It must be preached. May it be true of us that we who know Christ are hungering and thirsting to hear the gospel of Christ just like those who've never heard it. The gospel is so important. We've got to keep it pumping out. My friends, if you and I, if the Christian church, if you and I, if you and I as individual Christians don't preach the gospel, who in the world is going to preach the gospel? We've got to keep it pumping out. And all these other distractions will come in and try to keep us off of our purpose. We've got to keep the good news going out. The second purpose we have here in Matthew 28 is that those who we reach with the gospel, we should baptize them. We should encourage them to become committed followers of Jesus Christ. That they would put on the team jersey. That they would sign on the dotted line, if you will. That they would commit themselves to Christ through baptism. Baptism is such a wonderful thing because when a person is saved, they identify with Christ through baptism. And baptism is is a glorious picture of a spiritual reality. You identify with Christ, and then you are taken out to some water somewhere by a Christian minister or some other Christian, and they lay hands on you, and they say in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they baptize you, push you down under the water, and we hold you down until you say, I will tithe. <laughs> but we don't keep you down forever. We lift you up. And when you come up out of the water, you're saying my old life has passed away. My old identity is been erased from me, and you rise now as Christ. Now, this, these are interesting implications. In Romans 6, Paul talks about this. We're buried with him through baptism. We're identifying with his death. We're saying, I belong to Jesus. I am his, and he is mine, and I'll be with him for all time. Baptizing those people Not baptizing willy-nilly, but only baptizing those people who have put their faith in Christ. And then our third purpose is to teach those persons who've been saved and baptized to obey Christ. That's what the reading says. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey. Now, believe it or not, this is what most of the New Testament is dedicated to, is telling you to obey Christ. All these individual New Testament letters are given to local churches to tell them how to deal with their problems and to tell them what Christ wants them to do as his servants. Now, this requires the establishment of local churches. It's, it's, it's striking to me that 
Um, it's, a, it's a big task. They're going there to a community that doesn't really care for them. They're preaching the gospel. They're going to baptize some people, and they're going to organize churches. And then they're going to spend the rest of their time teaching those people how to obey Christ. And the establishment of local churches is important. It must take place. We need more churches, not fewer churches. Let me say that differently. We need more churches that preach the gospel and fewer churches that don't. But sadly, we have so many churches, but so few of them proclaim proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, these local fellowships, they are created... By the Holy Spirit. If you've ever looked at our church covenant sometimes, you go on the website and look at it, you'll see that it says, having been led by the Holy Spirit, every local fellowship of Christians is created by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads people together. Ephesians talks about it, how a local church is a body. It is fitly framed together by the Holy Spirit. God brings us together and makes us into a body. He creates us. The Holy Spirit, He saves people and He leads them to form particular churches. He leads them to commit themselves to each other in the service of God. Now, within these churches, there is to be the regular teaching of Scripture. And to do this regular teaching of Scripture, God has not given this job to everybody in a local church. He's given it to usually one or two guys who are called pastors. Now, I've been a pastor my whole adult life. My whole adult life I've been a pastor. Now, I've been a pastor my whole life. I can say this about pastors. Pastors are often seen as killjoys. The guy that's going to bring everybody down. The guy that wrecks everybody's fun. Killjoys. The old party pooper. But a pastor is really a joy bringer. A pastor is a helper of your joy. Now, believe it or not, I want you all to be as happy as a pig in slop. I want you to be happy. I want you to be thrilled with your life. And the only way that I can achieve that is by pointing you to the Scriptures. Now, just to, to prove that, I want you to take your Bible. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. Listen to what... The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 1.24, 2 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 1.24. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. I want you to be a joy-filled Christian. I want you to have joy in your life. I want you to be happy to be born again, happy to be a Christian. Look also at 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So the NIV says, ESV also, the old authorized version, it says to make your joy joy complete. One of the greatest things a Christian minister has the opportunity to to do within his local church is to make people joyful, to thrill you 
with the delights of God to show you how wonderful it is to be a Christian, how great it is to be one of God's children. And we do this through teaching you the Word of God. Turn back to Psalms 19. Listen to God's Word. Psalms 19. Psalm 19.7. Pastors do this by teaching us the Word of God. We're helping your joy. How do we do that? By pointing you to God's Word. Psalm 19.7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Notice these positive words. Reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward by direct Christian ministers must constantly direct people to the scriptures, to the scriptures, to what God says. These are all positive things. God wants you to be have joy. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to know the prosperity that's found in Christ through his word. He wants you to know the reviving of the soul. My friends, have you ever felt like you were just wrung out and ready to quit? Feel like you couldn't go another step? Where do you find joy? Now, here's what happens at our house. Valerie will come and she'll say, Terry, I'm really having a bad day. I say, okay. She'll say, now, Terry, I really need some encouragement. I say, okay. Terry, are you listening to me? Yeah. Terry, I'm, re- I'm, really, I'm, really, I'm really feeling low. I say, it'll be all right. And she'll fill in the blank with whatever her fear is. And I'll, and I'll say, you know, what, what, what do I say? You guys know what I say, probably. It'll be all right. Don't worry about it. And then the dreaded five-letter word. Relax. <laughs> You're making a mountain out of a molehill, dear. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Maybe throw some scripture at her. Sometimes, when you need encouragement and lifting up, when you need reviving of the soul, you go to your husband, you go to your wife, you go to your kid, you go to your boss, and try to find it, you're going to be disappointed. Psalms 142, the psalmist says, I looked to my right hand, I looked to my left hand, there was no one that cared for me. Nobody there. The Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, says, At my first answer, no one replied to me. The first time I was locked up in prison and asked for help, nobody responded. I sent out a text message to all my friends, and nobody texted me back. They all left me on red. (laughs) Nobody seems to care about me. Then, my friends, if you can ever get to the place where you can go to Scripture and read what God says to you, That's where you find that reviving of heart. That's where you find that lifting up in God's word. One of the the jobs of the Christian minister is to point people to God's word. 
One of the most frightening things that happens to me as a pastor sometimes is people said, will say, well, it's like you said in your sermon the other day. Now, two things go through my mind. Number one is, what did I say? Because <laughs> I know I haven't said everything people says I say. Say I said. <laughs> I said secondly, I hope, I hope what I said is True. But we have, we have to get to where we know the Bible. And Christian ministers should be taking people to the Bible to show them how to have their soul revived so they can be made wise, so they can have joy in their hearts. Now, my friends, when a pastor preaches the word to you, the thing said, when it is preached to you, may seem bitter to the taste. Have you ever heard a sermon Heard a message or had some advice from a pastor, and it, it really was salt in your eyes. It was like a punch in the face, a stab in the heart. It was bitter at first, but then later, God's word, after it's been internalized and ruminated on, meditated on, produces joy in our belly. And that joy that begins in our inner man radiates outwards and makes us fully and completely happy. God's word has the power to do this because it is very good and God has given it to us to make us happy. Listen to the reading. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. God's word can make you happy. The sad thing is, is you don't believe it. (laughs) You don't believe it. You're looking for all your happiness somewhere else. Getting on the radio. Trying to find you a song to perk you up, to, to drag you through. God has given you his own precious word. It should be your necessary meat. It should be what you feed upon constantly that guides you and shapes you his word. But it's not going to be anything to you until you believe it. Believe God's word. Believe it. God's word is very good. And it can make you happy. It can make you happy even when everything around you stinks. It can make you happy. If you want to take your Bible, you could turn and read Romans 8, 28. Because what Scripture does is Scripture helps me understand that my trust needs to be in God's plan, in God's purpose, not in my own perception. Romans 8.28 is that great passage. It says, all things work together for good to those who who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. It's well said that not everything individually is good. If you want to make some, go home and make some cookies today, make some chocolate chip cookies, you're going to have some flour, some sugar, some shortening. Am I right? Laid eggs, and chocolate chips, cookie sheet, oven. <laughs> I mean, Separately, all those, you could go home and eat a handful of flour if you want to, eat a handful of chocolate chips, 
Have yourself an egg. Crack it in your mouth. All those things individually are not good, but you put them together, they are good. All the things in your life you're going through are not always pleasant or always joyful, but together they are working for your good. We could begin with Genesis and go forward and show this over and over again. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 10 says something very striking. Peter says, after you have suffered, then he'll make you perfect or complete. Why am I going through suffering, going through bad times? Because God's making you perfect or complete. We had a friend in Arkansas. He was a, he was a, a, a hobby potter. He would make little clay jars and pots, and he would pour them on his little wheel with clay. And then he would put them in the fire. And it was in the fire where they became glorious. It was in the fire where they became beautiful. It was in the fire where they became useful and valuable. After you have suffered a while, God will make you perfect and mature. It's the sufferings. Even Jesus our Lord, the Bible says this in Hebrews, that he learned obedience and was made perfect by the things which he suffered. Suffering. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord. There are some things we don't understand why. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us. We don't understand all of God's plans or purposes. We don't understand the big picture. But God does. He's driving the train. He knows where you're going. He knows. Scripture informs us of these things. Scripture tells us that God is working in our lives, even when we don't feel like it. That We know that God is working these things for our good. He's going to make us happy. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, the psalm, the Solomon warns us. He cautions us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Now, I've had to relearn this a hundred times. Don't lean on my understanding. Because I don't get it sometimes. I can't understand it. God, why you got to do it this way? One guy here in the church has said this recently several times to me. He's talking about the, the gospel and salvation. He says... Uh, it was Jeff that says it to me. Jeff, what is that thing you say? It's such a strange way to strange way to save the world. Was oh, that from a song? It's from a song. What a strange way to save the world. Why has it got to be this way? Why does it have to come out? It's, but it's God's plan. We have to lean not on our understanding, but on His understanding. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on. Don't rest on your understanding. Because if you lean on it, you're going to fall. You're going to become discouraged. You're going, become, you're going to fall out by the way. It is Scripture that tells us these things. It's Scripture that does it. And as Christian ministers in local churches, we're trying to drive people. And that's a bad thing to say for a pastor, isn't it? We're not trying to drive people. We're trying to lead people to Scripture. By showing you how Scripture is informing our life. How we're putting our faith and confidence in God's plan as revealed in Scripture. Now, let's go to the second, the second half of the sermon, all right? We'll have our slide changed. I'm going to give you five things that will keep a local church going and that will keep you growing. Some of these things you're going to really like, some of the things you're not going to like. As it is with every sermon. 
Number one, you need to read, read God's word every day. Psalms 119 verse 105 says, Thy word is a light into my path and a lamp unto my feet. How many of you, how many of you believe we're living in a dark world? Anybody? Okay, how are you going to find your way around in a dark world unless you have a light? You've got to have a light. God's word is that light. Psalms 119 verse 130 says, NIV says, The unfolding of your words bring light. Authorized version says, The entrance of your words give light. God's words coming into us inform us. It illuminates the situation. You ever been in school? You're trying to solve some kind of, some kind of problem? Solving for X or Y or, you know, if, if you leave here at 4 o'clock and Bob leaves his house at 4 o'clock and, you guys just, and you're trying to, trying to figure that kind of stuff out? What's the key to understanding those things is you've got to know the right equation, right? You've got to know the right formula to figure it out. God's Word is something important. You need it every day. You don't just need it on Sundays. You don't just need it on Mondays. We all need a double dose on Monday, right? You need it every single day. Every single day. How many of you, how many of you guys are going to have eaten breakfast already? Anybody? How many of you plan on eating lunch? How many of you are going to eat sometime today no matter what? You need God's Word every day. You need to eat it. You need to take it in. I'm going to say this, just put it in perspective. You need, you need God's Word more than you need coffee. Now that's a striking statement, isn't it? More than you need coffee. God's Word. You need to read it every day. Number two, you need to go to church regularly. Listen, no, regularly is an interesting word, interesting, interesting word. For us in this context, we have church once a week on Sundays for about an hour. Right now we're at an hour and three minutes, I think. You need to go to church regularly. Acts 2.42 says they devoted themselves to prayer and fellowship and breaking bread together. They attended it regularly. Now, what would you call regular church attendance? This is, kind of, this is kind of humbling to people sometimes. Regular church attendance. Now, when I first became a pastor, I, our church had Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And I, I gave a sermon or a, or a lesson at all those meetings. That's 208 sermons a year. For a long time, I preached 208 times a year. A lot of fun. A lot of things you can talk about. So that meant that the people in my church had the potential to attend 208 services a year. 208. And you guys go to Faith Baptist Church. How many times you are going to go to church this year? If you make every Sunday? 52. And some of you aren't doing too good. <laughs> Regular means it's a regular part of your life, something you're going to do. You're going to do. Sometimes going to church feels like exercise, though. How many of you have tried to exercise more every year of your life? <laughs> you got to get in the habit of going to church regularly because you need it. And you really need it if you're not going to read the Bible. Remember reading the Bible every day, the only Bible you're going to get is here on a Sunday morning. And we really don't spend too much time reading a lot of Scripture. We maybe read one or maybe just one full chapter every week. You need to go to church regularly. You may say, well, I, I would go to church more often if the sermons really seemed to help me. 
Now, this is a real question people have. If, if the sermons seem to help me more regularly, I will go to church more regularly. That's something that people say. It's, like, it's something that I've heard. I haven't heard it here, but it'll, it'll be said eventually. What's the response to that? Well, I guess that you, say, you could say this. You know, not every Sunday is about you. <laughs> You're not the most important person in the room every week. Now, how many of you would say, say with uplifted hand, I have been in church and knew the sermon was exactly for me? All right. Anybody uplifted hand would say, I've been in church and didn't know who in the world it was for, but I know it wasn't for me. <laughs> I've been there. I mean, I have given sermons to congregations and looked at the congregation. You're like, I kind of know people. I'm like, I don't know why I'm preaching this sermon to you guys. Because I don't think anybody here needs it. But you trust the Lord and give the sermon anyway. Regular church attendance is going to get you with the sermon you need more often. If you're only going to church three or four, let's say you're only going to church 12 times a year, the chances of you hitting the sermon you need, the percentages go way down. Have you ever been in church, my friends, and heard a sermon and thought, man, I know who needs that? (laughs) That's kind of a good and bad thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's good for they need it. But sometimes you wish they could have been there to hear it. Now, of course, now we got, in the digital age, we can share it on Facebook or send them an email and they can listen to it online. You know, hearing, hearing them live is a lot better, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> Number three, give offerings. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 11, he says that we should give. And he says you should give whatever you purpose to give. And if you give liberally, if you give richly, abundantly, God will bless you in proportion to your giving. And he says, if you give a little bit, God will bless you in proportion to that too. But you should be a giving person. Writing a check, dropping some bills in the offering box from time to time. But do it regularly. Be a giver. Give to God's work. My friends... I do not believe in the prosperity gospel like you see Benny Hinn and all those yahoos talking about. But I know for a fact that when you give of your money to the Lord's work, God blesses you for it. God blesses you for it. We, we could stop right now and I could say, who wants to give a testimony of God's blessing without mentioning amounts? I know there are people in this room who would stand up and say, I've been giving to the Lord and I know God has blessed me. I'll tell you how I had a blessing around the Christmas time. There was a couple of people, they showed up here at the church, and after service they said, Terry, they said, you know, we don't have any money. Can you help us out? And I had a, uh, let's see what, I had $90 in my pocket. And I thought, well, you know, I didn't really want to give them any money. But I thought, well, I'll give it to them. They're in need. I gave them $90. So I gave them the $90, and they left. The next day, I went into my office. I was on Sunday. On Monday, I went into my office, and laying on my keyboard, somebody had given me a card that said, Pastor Terry on there. I opened it up, and guess what was inside of it? I wish, I, I wish it was $10,000. <laughs> but 
But you know what it was? It was a $100 bill. I lent to the Lord, and the Lord paid me back. You can't outgive God. You cannot outgive God. But you have to give to God. You need to give to God. You know, the scripture says, where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. Sharing the gospel with people. Be a witness. Somebody shared the gospel with you. The very first person to ever share the gospel with me personally, you'll never believe who it was. It was my irritating, frustrating, annoying little brother. That joker became a Christian when he was six years old. And then every time we were playing together alone, guess what he would do sometimes? He would say, when are you going to become a Christian? When are you going to get saved? And every time he said it, I would persecute him. Bam! <laughs> get out of my life. Who do you think you are? You know? Well, he did. Just every once in a while, he would, he would talk to me about it. Be a witness. Tell people about Christ. Lastly, pray. 2 Thessalonians 5.17 says we should pray without ceasing. Luke 18, verses 1 to 8, Jesus said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. And he tells a story about, how, about this lady who got something because she kept on knocking on a guy's door. Importunity. Coming again and again and again to God. Asking, asking, asking. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, ask and it shall be given to you. Knock and it shall be opened. Seek and you shall find. Pray. Now my friends, I really think that the praying, if we could become a praying church, I think you might blow your mind what would happen here. If we could become a praying church, calling out to God, praying, I think you might be, your mind would be blown at what would happen in your own life if you were a praying Christian. And I don't know what your prayer life is. I know what mine is, and I know mine can always be better. Never good enough. But praying and going before God and saying, Lord, I need you to work here. Bringing our burdens and petitions before Him. Sometimes in praying, you may say, well, what should I pray? I don't know how to pray. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. You have the model prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Go to that prayer and just make that your own prayer. Make it an outline for your prayer. Or take any of the Psalms and use them as your outline for prayer, praying and talking to God. If you pray through the Psalms, you'll find yourself praying about all kinds of interesting things. Challenging you to take all kinds of things to Him. My friends, these are five things that will keep a church going and keep you growing. Now it's time to bring this sermon to an end. I don't know exactly where anyone here is that in this room as far as their Christian life or their spiritual life? I don't know where anybody is at. I only know about me. What I'd like to do now is just with an attitude of prayer for about two minutes, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if this sermon was for you, if something in this sermon rung the bell for you, talk to God about it. Maybe you need to pray and ask the Lord to save you because you've realized that you're not a Christian. Maybe the Lord has highlighted for you things in your life you know you've got to get out of your life. Talk to him about it.
Maybe you're having some serious problem. And you don't know where to find the answers. And you want to look into God's word. Maybe now, make a prayer. Lord, show me where these are at in the Bible. Help me to find them. Whatever your spiritual need might be, let's take, let's take a moment or two and pray. Let's ask Miss Denise to play through a couple verses. While she's playing, you pray. Talk to the Lord. Do business with God.